This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each week, you'll hear a portion of a work in progress and have a chance to interact with the author and other readers on the author's blog, posing questions, answering questions from the author, and hopefully having a lot of fun. Are you ready? Let's begin. Episode 17 At the end of episode 16, Cecil received a vision, warning that King Rupric, son of the king who ransacked his library years ago, was going to make another attempt to confiscate all the books his father didn't get the last time. Cecil and Ash got to work, hiding most of the books and warning others in the village who also had libraries. Rupric wasn't discriminating when it came to books, and his men, who couldn't read, would take everything they could get their hands on, even children's books. Did the warning come in time? Ash returned to Cecil's cottage, just as soldiers arrived. The door opened, and Cecil peered out, braced against the doorframe, his face wrinkled in pain, and his sparse wisps of hair standing out at odd angles. Ash? Ah, good, there you are. Might I trouble you for some of that lovely brew? I've just had another... Oh, there you are. He pulled himself upright, and sternness wiped away his discomfort, as his milky gaze appeared to sweep over the six men. I've been expecting you. Don't expect any more joy in this errand than your predecessors had. The one on the far right growled a string of curses and launched himself across the clearing at Cecil. Ash braced to lunge and intercept him, though she didn't expect much success. The leader of Rupric's brutes stepped forward, an arm outstretched, and clotheslined the man. He went down with a crash. "'You want to bring a whole gob of trouble on us?' he growled. "'The king said no roughing up the old man. That was the mistake the others made.' "'Weren't no mistake,' the man on the ground snarled. "'I got a right to get some back from my grandfather, don't I?' "'Tell me!' Cecil stepped out of the doorway." leaning with one arm against the front wall of the cottage. What is the difference between roughing up a seer and stealing from him? Both are causing harm. Ain't stealing, a third man said. We're confiscating on the orders of King Rupric. He's not king here, Ash said. He's got no authority. Did the king of Inderwale give him permission to steal from the seers? You shut up your gab, boy, the leader snapped, and pointed a beefy finger at her. The man closest to Ash stepped forward, ready to act on the silent order. Fang shrieked and bounced up high, so his ears brushed against the lower branches of the overhanging trees. All six men tipped their heads back, watching his upward and then downward arch. "'What is that?' the man on the far left blurted. Followed by a string of curses, Ash couldn't begin to understand. She wondered if the man was speaking another language. Someone started to laugh. Someone else said something about a crazy rabbit. Then Fang landed in front of the leader, bounced at a sharp angle, and slammed both feet into the man's face. He went down with a scream four octaves higher than his normal speaking voice. Before he hit the ground, Fang bounced off him and ricocheted off a second man to hit a third. In seconds, the air was filled with dust and grunts and yelps and curses and thuds and Fang's furious shrieks. One of them tried to crawl out of the growing, thickening cloud on his hands and knees. He raised a hunting horn to his lips. Fang landed on his head, smashing him flat to the ground, but not before the horn let out a single blurt of sound. 
Then Fang's left fang caught hold of the man by his wrist, wringing a shriek from him. His oversized teeth were sharp, after all. The scent of blood joined the fracas. Ash couldn't move, stunned by Fang's sheer speed as he bounced from man to man. Cecil reached out a hand to her, and she managed to reach for him, and they somewhat clung to each other, staring as heads and hands and feet emerged from the whirlwind of dust and cursing and shrieking and a few bleeding calls for Mama! Fang muttered and growled as he punched and bit and thumped with his hind feet. And Ash could almost make out words. If she wasn't mistaken, he was cursing. Did bunnies curse? She supposed they had to know how if they were magically endowed. A horn sounded in the distance, in the direction of the village, followed by the approaching sounds of hooves. People shouted. One of the men fell out of the tangle of fighting and landed on his back. He was bleeding from multiple scratches on his face, and his clothes were torn. One eye was starting to swell. But he tipped his head back and laughed, somewhat brokenly. "'That'll teach you,' he said, his voice strained and ready to break. "'Think we were stupid enough to come with just a few this time?' A troop of mounted men broke through the trees into the clearing surrounding Cecil's cottage. They were all armed. One had a squirming little girl clinging to his back, clawing with one hand at the sack hanging off his saddle. Several of the men stared, goggle-eyed, at the dying cloud of dust and blood and struggle. Two burst out laughing, until a glare from their leader silenced them. Ash thought he had to be their leader, because he wore some chain mail instead of just leather for armor. "'What are you idiots doing?' the man in the chain mail barked. "'Fang, stop!' Ash called and held out her hands. As if Fang had ever listened to her? She doubted he would listen now, because from the glimpses she had had of him, he was enjoying himself far too much, despite the fury that made his eyes seem to glow through the dust and debris. She was surprised as anyone when Fang bounced up high, came down hard on the red-haired man's chest with a loud snap that wrung a broken shriek from him, then bounced at a sharp angle, right into her arms. She stumbled back from the force of the impact. Fang stank of blood and dust and mud and sweat, and the bitter tang she supposed was anger, or else vampire bloodlust. In those few seconds of Fang calming down, and a lot of gasping and staring and muttered curses, the villagers caught up with King Rupric's mounted men. Kara, the baker, stomped up to the man with the little girl clinging to him and yanked her free. She also managed to yank the bag free. The man cursed and reached for the bag, but something in the woman's furious gaze stopped him. I told you, Ox, leave the children's books alone, the chainmail leader said without turning to look at the man. His Majesty said all books, the man retorted. Did he? You were there in the throne room when I got my instructions? That didn't get a response other than a few other men chuckling. What is that? Lucinda said, somewhat out of breath, and pointed at Fang. He clung to Ash, trembling in fury, or maybe it was exhaustion. He smeared her shirt with mud and blood, and judging from the sharp stabs, tearing holes in it with the claws of forelegs and hind legs. That is a vampire the boy and I have been trying to cure, Cecil said. He glared at the downed men, who were wobbling and staggering as they struggled to their feet, or contented themselves with crawling toward their fellow soldiers. It's very hard to do when what few books of magic I used to have were stolen, and I have to rely on memory. You can't read, you stupid old duffer, one of the mounted men shot back. What does it matter? I don't need eyes to read magic books, 
Cecil said, drawing himself up tall and straight and glaring directly at the speaker. That earned some looks of wonder and mutters from villagers and soldiers alike. Fang muttered, but Ash was sure he wasn't expressing wonder, more like he was working himself up into another fury to attack. Just hand the books over, Seer, and we'll be on our way, the chainmail leader said. He sounded tired rather than irritated. Ash didn't know if that was a good sign or not. And promise us you won't put any curses on us. I don't call down curses, Cecil said. I merely report them. Yeah, right. Like you reported what was going to happen to me old granddad, one of the bloody and dusty and torn men grumbled. If you get any visions about us on the way home, you'll tell us, the leader said. If I don't get any visions about you before you leave, Cecil responded after a moment of thought, then how can I report them to you? Several people laughed. The mounted men looked around, but Ash didn't think they identified who had laughed. She doubted that would make a difference. King Rupric's soldiers were the usual low-grade bully boys she had seen when traveling on errands for Lady Charlotte, or had read about in the castle library. Lord Diggory had never allowed their type into the castle when they came looking for work. Usually, when such men were seeking a new master and home, it was because they had either failed abominably and had been cut loose, or their previous master had faced the king's justice. Either way, they weren't the sort to work well with the soldiers under Captain Reginald's command. Men like them didn't need an excuse to beat on someone, and they didn't need to know who were the guilty parties when they enacted punishment. They just struck at whoever was handy. Maybe we should just stay here, enjoying the hospitality of the village until you do get a vision, the chained male leader said after a moment of thought and studying Cecil through narrowed eyes. That will take some time, because I just had a vision, and it will be several weeks before I'm well enough to have another one. Cecil slumped forward and reached to brace himself on Ash's shoulder. I was just coming out to ask my apprentice here to brew me a restorative tonic when your men so rudely interrupted, and freed the vampire bunny while they were at it. Don't any of you have the sense of a rock, not to barge into and break the wards around a seer's home, and let loose all sorts of imprisoned and partially tamed demonic creatures? The men who were still on the ground scrambled to their feet, and toward the dubious shelter of the trees and thickening shadows— most of the villagers retreated as well. Vision, eh? And what was in the vision? He rested a hand on the hilt of the sword at his hip in a very clear threat. Forget about the vision, Lucinda said. She pointed a slightly trembling hand at Ash. What do we do about that vile creature of darkness? No, she wasn't pointing at Ash, but at Fang. Knowing the difference gave Ash no relief. Despite his peculiarities and bloodthirsty aspects of his nature, she was rather fond of the manic bunny. Besides, he was half-vampire because he had been defending her. That is in the vision, Cecil said. Ash, you need to take a three-day journey into the forest, to the glade that you saw in the silver scrying bowl. When you get there, you are to find the hidden spring." Wait until the water turns red, then put the vampire bunny into the water and hold him down until the water runs clear again. He will be cured. Fang squealed and chattered, the sound muffled against Ash's shoulder. Several villagers let out yelps and curses, and more fled back out of sight among the trees. If it's a vampire, why ain't it drinking from the boy? One of the bedraggled, bloody soldiers grumbled. That's one of the few wards you imbeciles didn't break when you came barging in here. 
What kind of two-bit magicians work for your King Rupric to work such badly designed magic that it interferes with the wards and knocks the magical humors out of place and endangers everyone in the village? Cecil groaned, hunched his shoulders, and pressed his free hand against the side of his head. Ash caught her breath. That wasn't play-acting. The wrinkles of discomfort forming around Cecil's eyes and mouth were real. He needed the healing brew— and should have had it long before this whole idiotic encounter began. So was his vision also true? She couldn't imagine him speaking the instructions of a vision meant for her to everyone in the village and these bully boys, serving a king who had no authority in Inderwile. You need to leave, Lucinda said. Haven't you done enough damage, barging into people's homes, taking what ain't your king's right to take? Don't you give me none of that celestial right of king's garbage. Rupric ain't our king, and I know if we go to King Stephan, he'll agree that Rupric has no right here. You're nothing but a bunch of arrogant bully thieves. Maybe we are, the leader said, and turned his horse to face her now, with his hand still on the hilt of his sword. But who's going to stand against us? Well, the longer you sit there making your demands, the more time the soldiers from Fort Paxus have to get here and teach you some manners, Cecil said. His hand gripped Ash's shoulder a little tighter. The moment you rode into the boundaries of our village wards, an alarm went off at the fort, letting the captain and his men know we were being invaded. They were on their way before you broke down the first door. And yes, you really should have listened to your leader and not tried to take the children's books. Imagine how embarrassing it will be for your King Rupric when he can't even read a book made to teach children how to read. Several someones snickered and chuckled. Ash saw at least two were Rupric's soldiers. I don't know if I should believe you, their leader said, glancing back and forth between Cecil and Lucinda. But you can't afford to take the chance, can you? Lucinda said. Her tone was smug, if not her expression. She took two steps closer to the man, fists jammed into her hips, and glared at him. Cecil let go of Ash's shoulder. She turned, shoving Fang out of her arms as the old seer went to his knees. She tried to hold him up, but she was too slow and he knocked her off balance. They both went to the ground as she shouted his name. In the fuss of getting him into the cottage, two of the soldiers shoved their way through the door. They swept clear three bookshelves, knocking most of the books to the floor. Fang shrieked, a long howling call, and leaped through the door. The soldiers gathered up what they could and fled. Ash didn't care. She splashed hot water into a mug, then dumped in twice as much of the herbal mixture as she needed and stirred it with her finger. Lucinda and several others got Cecil into his closet bedroom and stretched out on the bed. They jammed up in the doorway because there just wasn't enough room for so many in there. Fang followed the soldiers out the door, and Ash heard him shrieking and stomping and bouncing back and forth in front of the cottage. The angry, frightening whinnies of horses, and the sounds of retreating hoofbeats, and the curses of men, both soldiers and villagers, filled the air. She ignored the chaos outside while she blew on the brew, and willed the herbs to steep quickly and release their healing power into the hot water. Maybe it wasn't as strong as she would have liked it, but Ash thought it was strong enough to do Cecil some good. By the time everyone cleared out of his tiny bedroom, and she could guide the mug to his mouth for the first sip. By the time nearly half the mug had gone down Cecil's throat in small sips, everyone else had left, except for Lucinda. Ash heard her moving about in the main room of the cottage, picking up the scattered books and putting them on the shelves, then closing the door with a loud thud. 
Sorry, the village head woman muttered, although Cecil hadn't reacted to the sound. A moment later, she appeared in the doorway. How is he? Much better. Cecil opened one eye. Thank you for not giving me away. Seers aren't supposed to lie, which I depended on to make them believe me. If you had reacted in surprise, that would have ruined everything. Oh, you mean about the soldiers coming? Funny thing, but I prepared a message and alerted our fastest boys to be ready to run as soon as Ash told me about those bullies coming back. They were already on their way to the fort before those brutes could figure out which building was the schoolhouse. Lucinda chuckled. Doesn't it have a sign that says school? Ash said. She wrapped Cecil's fingers around the mug, sure he could drink without her help now. Yes, it does, Cecil said. But it's almost a law that despots like Rupric never hire men who are able to read or use basic logic and common sense. I wonder if he will ever understand the irony of sending illiterates to steal books. Lucinda snorted. So, you're on the mend now? Much better getting all that animosity out of the magical atmosphere. I wasn't joking about lopsided, badly made magic accompanying them. The current rubric decided to be a little more cautious than his father had been when it came to earning the ire of Sears. Not cautious enough to stay in his own kingdom, she sighed and seemed to deflate a little, leaning against the doorframe. So, you did have a vision? I know from my father that they do try to knock your brains out through your ears, but I've never seen you right after you had one, she nodded to Ash. Good thing you have the boy here looking after you, she winked. Whatever the reason for the disguise. Ash blushed a little. She had been experimenting with bands around her chest to flatten what was, fortunately, taking a long time to blossom. Obviously, she hadn't done a good enough job. Yes, I had a vision. And I swear before the guiding spirits, half my pain is from lying about it. He let go of the mug with one hand to reach for Ash's shoulder. She sat on the edge of his bed, ready to take the mug when he was done. I saw you go through an archway of roses, into a tunnel of roses and thorns, all covered with snow. Me or the roses, Ash asked, without thinking. Both. That's what worries me. So, just avoid roses that bloom in? Oh, Lucinda nodded. What does that mean? What don't I understand? Ash tried to keep her voice soft, for Cecil's sake. Roses? Blooming in the winter? That's a sign of magic at work strong magic, and maybe something you can't escape if it's aiming for you. The head woman shook her head. Even I can read a sign like that clearly enough. And you do really need to leave, Ash, as soon as possible. Those soldiers will talk about Fang, and you know they won't admit it was just one angry bunny that made fools of them and got the better of them. They'll have an entire troop of vampire bunnies, ten cubits high, and you'll be painted as a dark warlock, whipping them to a frenzy and driving them before you. Cecil shook her once. Get Fang and get out of here before there's a frenzy to hunt down every rabbit and hare and coney and bunny from one border to the other. I was planning to leave, thanks to the Justiciar, but not so soon. Ash looked to Lucinda. Don't you worry. I'll take good care of him, the headwoman said, with a nod and a frown that was as good as making a vow. The Arch of Roses. Am I supposed to go in, or is it a warning to stay out? She asked as she stood. Already, she was thinking about all the things she needed to find, where she had left her mending, what provisions she could take without shorting Cecil, and most important, 
if Fang had headed off into the woods for his evening hunting, or he had retreated to his basket on the roof. What was the use of fleeing if he wasn't with her? I don't know, Cecil said, after several long, thoughtful, frowning moments. You were just there, standing in the doorway. I didn't see you go in. I just saw you there, framed in it, poised. I suppose this is just a warning sign, to look for the arch and the roses in winter and be prepared for something to happen. Ash didn't think that was any help at all. Certainly not worth the headache Cecil had to suffer to receive the vision. She knew better than to say so. With a nod to them both, she headed across the room, to the ladder, to the loft. She decided to take the flute and a bag of the healing herbal mixture, and a wooden cup and bowl, but she would have to leave behind almost everything else Cecil had given her for the sake of swift flight. She was still better off than she had been when he found her, other than the ache weaving through her chest and squeezing at her head. It hadn't hurt this badly when she fled Castle Fairhold. Fang was waiting for her when she slipped out of the cottage less than half an hour later. Lucinda had offered to have her husband give Ash a ride in his wagon to the King's Highway to give her a good head start. Ash had declined. She had seen the look of mixed confusion and horror from Dominic when the cloud of dust from the battle had settled and he had gotten his first good look at Fang. She couldn't ask the good-hearted man to take Fang in the wagon, and she couldn't ask Fang to go by foot while she rode. The bunny nodded to her and kept pace with her with sedate, short hops as she headed into the thickening shadows of the trees. His ears twitched in the fading light, the signs clear enough to read. No, I'm not angry with you at all. You defended Cecil. They were entirely in the wrong. And besides, we were getting ready to leave anyway. She reached out to stroke between his ears. Fang stopped to let her get in a few strokes, purring hard enough to make her leg vibrate when he leaned against her. Then he hopped away, leading her into the forest and the night. Eight days later, the ring announced that Justiciar Camwell's men had arrived at the village. They were distracted by tales of the vampire bunny and the apprentice seer who controlled the magical creature, and didn't put them together with their quarry, until someone informed them that the only newcomer to the village in the last three months had been the apprentice seer. When they finally thought to ask Cecil for help, which they should have done the moment they arrived, he told them Ash had headed into the forest to perform a ritual he had found for her, to free the bunny of his vampirism. Half the village had heard him tell her what to do, after all, so Camwell's men had to believe him, with all that supportive testimony. The Justiciar's men were not only able to read, but they knew how to ask the right questions and not simply make assumptions. Cecil had convinced them that he was still exhausted and aching from the last vision he had suffered. His weakness was exacerbated by his fear for Ash, that the ritual had failed and she had been savaged by the vampire bunny. The last anyone knew, the men had headed south instead of north, thanks to a few misdirection spells that Lucinda had deployed, using several charms hidden among the village's secret treasures. "'How do you know all this?' Ash asked, after digesting that announcement for a few moments. She and Fang had stopped to sleep the hottest daylight hours away, in a thick clump of blackberry bushes. Her fingers were just as stained with the juice from the enormous fruit as Fang's chest and face and paws." He enjoyed messy food, period, not just red messy food. And that's the end of episode 17. 
What do you think of Cecil's warning vision? Should Ash avoid the Tunnel of Roses in the winter? Should she go into it? Meet up on my blog and let's talk about it. Consider all the other warnings that Ash has received from other people along the way. What do you think she should be doing or avoiding doing in the next few episodes? Remember, the blog address is Michelle Levine, L-E-V-I-G-N-E dot blogspot dot com. And remember to come back next week for episode 18.